Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Welcome, friends. I am delighted to be here with a dear friend of mine who I had the privilege and honor of getting to spend time with, not once, not twice, but three times last year, award-winning author, originally an award-winning pianist, Irvin Laszlo, who has written over a hundred books. He is a two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee. And I just found out right before this call that he was recently listed by Watkins' 2023 list of the hundred spiritually most influential living people. Kudos, Irvin. My God, I'm so grateful to have you here today. Oh, it's always very nice. Always, always my pleasure to speak with you. Oh, thank you, my friend. Tell us about your journey. I've had so much time to sit down with you and hear the deep wisdom from your years of writing, philosophizing, working with the United Nations. How was it that you pivoted from being an award-winning pianist at the age of nine years old to one of the most spiritually influential people on the planet? That I, the latter part, I don't know. But how I changed my own interests, I have some ideas. And the main point is that it didn't come all at once. It was not a single event. Also, there are several events that that influenced the course of my life, but this was not one. I think the seeds were laid much deeper. The seeds were laid already when I was maybe 9, 10, 11, or 12 years old. Because I lived in the same house as my uncle, the brother of my mother, who was a philosopher. And he always took me very often, at least several times a week, went for a walk in the park, which was just across the street. And he talked about his interests, and he, I think he needed public need as a young boy. I didn't understand too much, but I understood that how he's searching for meaning, he's searching for what he called wholeness. And it was very interesting because this was, of course, was before this current wave of thinking about wholeness and oneness and love and all that. But he was a very intuitive philosopher himself. And so the idea of finding meaning in life was something that was embedded in my psyche, as it were. And then it was dormant for quite a while, because came the war and the Nazi occupation, and then came my career as a young piano prodigy, too busy to think about other things. When I met a group of young people in New York City, who were attending the school for the new school for social research, which was a school made up of very much of the professors were eminent Europeans escaping from Nazi Germany. Anyway, I attended that school and there was a group of young people deemed as well. And this group of young people were interested in questions that my uncle was interested in. I didn't know this in advance, but I got involved with that and I got involved romantically with a girl who was a member of this group. So they continued talking and meeting whenever I had time in between my concert travels, my concert tours <clears throat> as a pianist. All of a sudden, these interests flamed up again. I thought forgotten the interests that were planted by my uncle. So there I was, and these interests kept growing. I first did what the young people around me did. They were interested in literature and in writing and creative writing. So I started writing short stories, incorporating some philosophical idea of some kind. And but this became this grew more and more until I started reading more systematically. 
attending courses at a new school, then at Columbia University in New York City. And so this was a process. So how did I shift? I shifted over a decade, perhaps, until it came to fruition in such a way that I realized that my true interest in life lies in trying to find meaning and coherence and understanding in the world. Meaning, I think, is the best term. Find meaning why I'm here and what life is all about. Then it led me to ask what my life as a concert pianist is all about. Is there something else, something other than playing the piano for people I should be doing, like what I can be doing? And these questions, of course, are bombing streets. They are, they make you ask more and more. The more answers you get, the more questions are being raised. So there I was launched uh, on a, on a, amateur career and never actually enrolled in school. I never had a formal education. We're much past my 15 years age when I left Hungary. But I arrived in New York also. But as a lover of wisdom, as which philosophy is supposed to be, philosophia, a loving of wisdom, I was turned out to be something like that. But I was a fascinating, it's a fascinating search, as I don't say it was, because it is continuing the search. And, and the more I find, the more questions are being raised, but also the more satisfactions one has. Not easy answers, but answers that seem to be intuitively, sometimes intuitively seem right. And then I go on, then I go on searching. If it seems frustrating, if it doesn't seem nothing seems to click, I let it go. But I think my guidance, it seems like almost like a general guidance. At least it gives me this feedback. If it's good, it sounds warm, it sounds good, it starts flowing. If it's not good, it's just frustrating, it stops and everything gets hold up, held up. There I am still at this point. I think it's such an incredible journey that you've been on since being a young boy in Hungary. And if I recall from one of our conversations, you were living in Europe during World War II, correct? Yes, the end of World War II. Was, Hungary was occupied by, by Germany last uh, 12 months, 11, 12 months in 1944 to 1945. The German army came in trying to oppose the Russian army advancing from the east. They overran Hungary, and they found, of course, a popular regime who was cooperating with them. But they imposed very dramatic anti-Semitic uh, measures, deporting Jews, and also all left-wing or left-thinking, advanced-thinking intellectuals and artists and so on. So this was a dramatic period with the not very high people, particularly People of leftist or Jewish origin. I will always remember, Irvin, when we were having dinner with your beautiful wife in Tuscany last year, and you said, Jennifer, one of the questions that I get asked most often is, Irvin, what about the evil in the world? Can you share a little bit about that story you shared with me that evening in Tuscany of what you saw during World War II and your perspective on whether or not evil exists? I don't remember the story exactly. As I, I can about tell it. I remember it verbatim. Yeah. I'll give you, I'll remind you a little bit about it because it was yes. such a provocative story, Irvin, in changing my life. I've since shared the story that you shared with me that evening with hundreds of people probably since then. You said, Jennifer, people ask me, what about the evil in the world? And I tell them there is no evil. There are only misguided people. And we talked about how during World War II, 
you were personally having to try and avoid being shot at and you saw dead bodies fall before you. And I just found that was almost incomprehensible for to imagine a young man like yourself in the midst of a war-torn country and yet to still have the perspective that there is no evil in the world was one of the most profound things I'd ever heard. No, I never had a personally dramatic experience. I know we were threatened. I know we were almost deported, always be ex- escaped because the Minister of Culture at that time, even though it was a puppet regime, which was a famous pianist, Ernest von Dohnani, the Minister of Culture saves me by finding for me and my parents an apartment in a house that was under the auspices, under the leadership or defense, let's say, of the Spanish embassy, the Spanish ambassador. And that was respected by the Germans because not because Germany, Nazi Germany and Spain were allies in the war. So they didn't dare to, to, to invade the house that was under the protectorate of the Spanish ambassador. That's how I survived. But I had no personal experience of people being threatening to me personally. Everybody I met, everybody I knew was friendly. I was very lucky. The child also, even this dramatic period, we had to go into hiding, but I sometimes heard the boots, heavy boots, steps of the Nazi armies going up above, even in a cellar. They were moving around up above. I knew that if they would find us, they would probably deport us or shoot us. You don't know. I, I, it was a challenge. It was an adventure. It was not personally a threat. So maybe that's why I still believe in goodness. I don't believe that people are born nasty. They become nasty, some, unfortunately. But I think that they can also be cured. Because there is an evolutionary impetus, an evolutionary core in us, core, which means that which which binds us to each other, binds us to life, as we are member of a living species on Earth. This is deeply in us. It's just as much in it is in a blade of grass, in a flower, in a tree. Or in a small animal, I see my dog, for example, and it can be a most more living and understanding and faithful friend than than that than Nikki, <laughs> or our dog. And I think that's natural. Animals have that, have that sense of belonging, and have sense of wanting to be part of. Of course, there is violence in nature, also as part of the food chain. Individually, there is no random killingness killing or violence doing but in terms of survival. So we managed to we can now manage to live without killing. There are tremendous amount of massacres, innocent innocent pigs and cows and sheep, which is just for the purposes of our eating, raising them just to be eaten. I think that's not a good example. It's an aberration. But living in a sustainable way in harmony with the world around us, I think it's in us, it's still in us, it's very much part of our nature. Arvin, so much I want to unpack here with you right now. Number one, I'd like to highlight the fact, with such grace, such a sublime way that you describe it, oh, Jennifer, there was no trauma, I was never personally threatened, and in the same sentence, you speak that you were had troops overhead and you could have been shot at any moment. I really acknowledge your resilience And I think it speaks to your perspective and your ability, Irvin, to see the world at its 
most optimal state. So rather than seeing, oh, of course I'm being threatened, there are troops and I'm hiding, you just see it as, oh, it's just people who are doing their job because they're in the middle of a war and they're doing what they're doing, but it wasn't a threat, as you said to you. So I just really acknowledge your ability to see things from that perspective, my friend. It's interesting. Maybe I was lucky. That's right. I remember as we were occupiers by the Nazi army, we had to move around just to be expelled from where we lived. We had to find some other place to live. And then we lived, as I said, at this, this Spanish ambassador's house. But as we moved around, then when these Russians came in, the streets were full of Russian soldiers. Because they're primitive people. They were from the Caucasian region. They were the advanced troops. We were the Nazi army, the army was the Russian, the Red Army, throwing these troops out the out in front, the onto minefields and into the fire line of the, the opposition. They didn't count very much. Then came the regular army. But at first, these Russian soldiers, very primitive, relatively East Asian people or Central Asian people, they were violating women and trying to do whatever they found on people. And to me, when I talked to them, when I saw them, they were, they, they, they were smiling, they were petting me, and a young boy, what are you doing here, daring to be out on the streets? I had to go on the streets to get bread or some primitive things that we could eat, otherwise you would be starving. So I had a good experience with them. I found out that they loved watches, wristwatches. I had an old wristwatch. If I gave it to them, they were smiling and they were happy with them. I don't know. There is underneath it all the underneath this violence. There's always a core of goodness and of wanting to be one. That is, has to be a very strongly asocial and misguided person, miseducated person. Who forgets that and who is really neglecting that deep sense of belongingness that is part of our nature, part of human nature, part of the nature of life. There's a story, Irvin, I was sharing with our mutual friend Nora before we came on to record today that I recently heard from my friend Stephen, and I think it it illustrates so beautifully your point that even if somebody is raping, pillaging, destroying things, there is a seed of goodness in every one of us. And sometimes it just gets buried under the pain, under the hurt, under heartaches. And so my friend Stephen shared the story with me about the 1980s. And he walks into his office one morning, it's 8.30 a.m. And he had a secretary who he adored. And there's a man with a knife to his secretary's throat. And he has bloodshot eyes and is disrupted or disturbed on some sort of substance. And so Stephen did the only thing he could think of. And he said, sir, are you okay? And he said, I'm going to kill this woman. I want to take a life before I take my own. And so my friend Stephen did the only thing he could think of. He said, sir, I respect your choice. We don't know each other, but please take my life instead of hers. So the man throws down the woman, grabs my friend Stephen, puts the knife to his throat. And Stephen, being the person he is, the human he is, is all love, all pureness. And he just did the only thing he could think of to do. And he said, we don't know each other, but if I could give you one wish right now, what is your dying wish? You're about to kill me, kill yourself anyways. What is your dying wish? And it made me think of you when I heard the story, Irvin. He said, I was a pianist. That was my dream. It was my passion. My whole life, I lived to play the piano. I played it. It brought me joy. And then one day I was working in this bar and music became popular instead on the radio or on tapes and so forth. So they no longer needed me and they fired me. 
And the moment they fired me, my life spiraled out of control. I no longer played the piano. I had a terrible relationship, kids on drugs. My life went to hell. And he said, my dying wish would be to play the piano one more time. And my friend Stephen had the wherewithal to say, you know what? I have a friend, John. He has a bar. I bet it's, I can call John and he has a piano you can play. And Irvin, he calls his friend John. And he says, John, can you open the bar right now? And he still has the knife to his throat during all of this. And his friend John is like, now? No, the bar doesn't open. Now, can you open the bar now? So the man walks my friend down the street with a knife under his, and he gets there. And his friend John can clearly see something is awry. Though in that moment, Irvin, where the man put down his knife and went to play the piano for the first time in decades, my friend Stephen said, I saw him transform. And as he had the knife against my throat, he said, I can see what you're doing. You're trying to love me, aren't you? And I think it's so beautiful, Irvin, just like what you said with the soldiers, instead of hating one another, instead of judging one another, instead of being angry or thinking something shouldn't be that way, what if, to the best of our ability, we choose discernment, but we could love one another? And I think that is what your upshift movement and so much of what all of the decades you've spent on this planet has been about is how do we come from a place of cooperation and thinking of the animals we eat, thinking of the planet we live on, and how can we upshift all of our consciousness to live on a better planet for everyone? That is the single cue we can actually because we have to recover our sense of belonging. Mm. We have to recover the love which is built into us, because we, as a child, as a baby, as a newborn, and there was, as an infant, and as a young child, and then as an older child, we grow up in a family, we grow up with people. It's very unfortunate if somebody is expelled, ex expelled from that, or is missing that framework of, for life, or that completion of one's life completion together with others. I had the great fortune also, I was an only child, that my parents were always with me, was always completed the family. I only had to ask for something, something and they really, I really needed it, felt that they did everything they could to help me to provide it and to live together. I was never alone. And perhaps that's also one of the key elements, people are lonely. People mm. feel themselves out in the wide world, in, in a jungle where they can't trust other people. That is a very unfortunate situation, and that is, needs to be upshifted. The current dog-is-dog -dog world has to be moved into the world where I, my good is your good, my life is your life. That gives happiness, that gives fullness, satisfaction. So that's the upshift, the upshift in it. Nothing less than the human mindset, the human personality. Can it change? People think that we are all, we are basically nasty, violent. I don't think so. I think basically we are good and loving. If you are not, we are being misguided and we have to find a way back. Everybody, even a person with a knife in the hand and is at the throat and somebody else has this basic flame which can be fanned, can be come up and irradiate the individual. That's the absolute need of course, better technologies with it, better treatment of each other and in all kinds of ways, fairness and all that. Obviously, we need all that. But the basis of all that is our mindset. How do we relate to each other, which is very much an expression, a radiation of how we relate to ourselves with love, with understanding, with coherence for others, 
people are sharing resources. There's great joy, which is sharing much greater than having or getting. People could only realize that these are many people do, but more and more need to be so that this, this society moves from a shift from a, from a having society to a sharing society. What I have is also yours. What you have is also mine. We share it together that way. We can flourish on this planet. And I don't think there is any other way. That's the way. I love you so much, my friend. And I am so grateful to our mutual friend, Morella, who introduced us last year at your birthday party, of all things, <laughs> in London. Mm -hmm. And I am so grateful for your wisdom that you share and the way that you have led a life of example that has led you to be one of the most prominent figures in philosophy and spirituality in the world. And now with the Upshift movement, I highly encourage any of you out there tuning in, listening now or in the future, please do look into the Upshift. It's Irvin's latest book, which is brilliant. I've had the pleasure of reading it myself, as well as the Upshift movement that you can too can sign up to be a part of and ask yourself, how can we upshift our consciousness? And as Irvin so eloquently put it, move from a having and taking to a sharing and symbiotic society where we all see the good in one another. I am Jennifer K. Hill, founder of Optimal Match, OM.APP. And thank you so much for being here with us for another episode of Regarding Consciousness. And thank you to you, my dear friend, Irvin Laszlo. It's my pleasure, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S dot com. Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.